To the hurting, I'll witness it. To the 
Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Worship at Fusion this morning. We're so glad that you've joined us here in person as well as online. Welcome. At this time, I invite you to stand up and greet one another with the peace of Christ. Praise him, all you people of the earth, for his unfailing love for us is powerful. The Lord's faithfulness endures forever. Praise the Lord. Psalm 117. Amen. Let's sing praises to our Lord this morning. fails will not fail me now you won't fail me now in the waiting the same God who's never late is working all things out working all things out yes I will lift you high in the lowest valley yes I will bless your Working all things out. Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy and all my days.
There's a place for me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Fusion this morning. We've got something pretty special to celebrate today. I'm a little, a little biased being the youth pastor, of course, but we've got a profession of faith that we get to celebrate today as a congregation. So I'd like to invite Macy Dannenberg up with us here a second. Uh, a couple things that I just want to talk about real briefly, and we've got some questions that we'll go through. We've already talked about those questions, too. Uh, but something just for you to remember and for our congregation to understand, too, when, it, when we talk about a profession of faith, there's kind of three promises that are kind of all a part of the core of what a profession of faith is. Uh, the first promise that I'd like to talk about real quick is a promise that God made at your baptism, baptism font right here, to watch over you, to protect you, to make himself known to you, to walk you through to this point and then beyond in the journey that continues, right? And it's a celebration of the point getting to here, but also of that journey that we get to look forward to in your faith life moving from here to celebrating that with you. Speaking of, of celebrating with you, uh, there's the second promise that I want to quick talk about, and that's the promise that was also made at your baptism by this congregation here to walk you through, to get you to this point as well, to help you know Jesus better, to give you uh, good role models and just kind of be those, those mother hens as we kind of ushered you to this point. And of course, the third promise is a promise that's coming from you today. And it's a promise to love Jesus, to live your life for Jesus, and to do your best you can along the way. So those three promises in mind, I've got three questions for you. And at the end of those three questions, if you just want to answer, I do with God's help. These are three questions we've talked about. You know all about them, but listen close to them. Uh, and I'll, I'll walk through these with you real quick, and then uh, we'll finish. And at the end of that, we'll ask the congregation to answer a question as well, Macy. All right, first question. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God sent to redeem the world? Do you love and trust him as the one who saves you from your sin? And do you, with repentance and joy, embrace him as the Lord of your life? That's question one. Question two. Do you believe that the Bible is the word of God, revealing Christ and his redemption, and that the confessions of this church faithfully reflect this revelation? And question three. Do you accept the gracious promises of God sealed to you in your baptism? And do you affirm your union with Christ and his church which your baptism signifies. Macy, how do you answer? I do with God's help. Beautiful, beautiful. And a question for the congregation. If you guys could stand up real quick. I've got one for you, and at the end, if you wouldn't mind answering, I do with God's help as well. The question for you guys. Do you promise to love, encourage, and support Macy by teaching the gospel of God's love, by being an example of Christian faith and character, and by giving the strong support of God's family and fellowship prayer and service. Congregation, how do you answer? With God's help. Beautiful, beautiful. You guys can have a seat. Macy, I've got a little gift for you guys. How about a round of applause for Macy? It's not easy to get up front and do this. Thank you. You're welcome. Congratulations. You can have a seat. 
And as we're making this transition, I'd also like to invite all the kiddos over to the doors over on the other side of the congregation there. We're going to send you guys down as well. Well done, Mace. Well done. Proud of you. Big, big bunch today. Good stuff. All right, congregation, adults, if you would with me. The Lord be with you. Well done, guys. Have a good time downstairs. As half of this place empties out, right? It's beautiful. I love it. I love the energy. I love the enthusiasm. I love the authenticity of our children. It's so beautiful to see them spending time with Jesus, just like we're doing up here today. So um, my name is Mary DeWitt, and uh, every so often I've been honored um, to lead you in prayer here at F Fusion, and uh, such a great day. Congratulations, Macy. This is so beautiful. What a wonderful day, and welcome, family, as we celebrate this special um, milestone in your life um, and in your family's life as well. Amen? Amen. Let's go to God in prayer, shall we? We begin with Proverbs 2, verses 11 and 12. See, the winter is past. The rains are over and gone, and flowers appear on the earth. The season of singing has come. The cooing of doves is heard in our land. The fig tree forms its early fruit. The blossoming vines spread their fragrance. God, thank you for the changing of the seasons. And in particular today, we thank you for the spring and the hope, the hope of warmer and longer and brighter days. Thank you that things are coming awake in our world. Thank you for your creative coloring of our world in nature. We know that it is by your power that the earth is renewed. It is by your command that the snow melts away. We know it is you who speaks, and the animals come out of their dormancy. It is you who causes the grass to grow again. May the sunlight, the rain, the warmer temperatures be reminders that you are at work not only replenishing the earth, but also refreshing and restoring our souls. May we never become too complacent to acknowledge your sovereignty in Jesus' name. And dear Father, we also know that spring is a metaphor for change. Some changes we eagerly await. We can't wait for them. And some we find ourselves very anxious about. Some changes we plan while others come quite uninvited. To all these changes we ask, that we see them through your eyes, seeking your strength and courage to help us live with faith and expectation and hope, no matter what the circumstances. And as we find ourselves in the season of Eastertide, you call us forward from an empty tomb into this new life, this new life of restoration. It's a resurrection life. Old bitterness is being put to bed. New possibilities and goodness awaits us. Indeed, we are called to let the past be in the past, to grasp the new life you have given us, and to seek joy. Let us move forward that you may be glorified, laying aside those things that weigh us down on our journey to follow you more fully each and every day. It is with great privilege and hope that we lay our brothers and our sisters before you, praying that your presence be felt in their lives, especially with the challenges that life may present. Comfort those in the midst of personal struggles, in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of mourning, in the midst of treatments, and in the midst of fragile relationships. Lord, we pray for the many people across our communities who are battling cancer, and those who are anxious about upcoming surgeries. Give them strength and peace to confront, that, confront it, knowing that there is tremendous support through our prayers as well as the many other hands-on ways that people walk alongside them through this journey. 
We thank you for the pastoral ministry of Dee Stahl and the compassionate care teams that are across this campus who so willingly serve others through their prayers and their visits and their cards and their calls and their meals and many other ways. We pray for the doctors and the nurses who administer hope and healing through medicine. And we thank you for the way that you have equipped them not only with gifts and talents, but more importantly, with wisdom and a heart full of compassion. Thank you for this safety net of caregivers. And while we lay our concerns before you, we know that we are also called to rejoice with those who rejoice, to join in those celebrations that mark memorable events in our lives, those rites of passage, as we celebrated the sacrament of holy baptism last Sunday in the profession of faith today. We especially wish to join the Dannenberg family, giving thanks as we just witnessed the promises made by Macy. Lord, bless her and keep her as together we all acknowledge that great is your faithfulness, O God our Father, from generation to generation. Finally, Lord, we pray for Pastor JB as he brings us your message today. Holy Spirit, fill him with only the words that you wish him to share. And now as we approach your throne of grace, we release these prayers to you. And as we leave this place today, and as we step out into our mission field, whether it's an office, whether it's a school, whether it's working in the medical field, whether it's working in a restaurant, whether it's serving at home, whatever it might be, you have uniquely prepared each of us. Please pour out wisdom into our hearts so that our actions and our words and our choices will not only be pleasing to you, but a blessing to those around us. May thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen, amen. Thank you, Mary. And uh, good morning, Fusion. Good morning, good morning. What a, what a beautiful moment uh, that we were just able to witness, amen. And uh, Macy, you standing up here and, and professing your love and your faith in Jesus is just, just awesome. And we love to see that. And, uh, and, and we left the baptismal font up here um, from last week because, as Nate said, as, as Mary mentioned in her prayer, like, like this moment is, is a fulfillment. And I love how, how Pastor Mary uh, quoted, great is thy faithfulness, of God's faithfulness. And so the invitation is, is not just for, for Macy, but all of us to remember our baptism. And so if you want to come, for, there's water in there. And so if you want to come in the, after the service and dip your hand in there and just remember God's promises in a tangible way, um, may that be a, a place of hope and assurance because God's faithful in our journeys through the highs and through the lows. Amen. And so let that be a, a sign for us this morning. Uh, a couple of announcements this morning. Uh, Adventure Week, I know it's end of June, but it's coming up. It's going to be here before you know it. Uh, please sign up your kids. Um, we got a little slide up there. You can go onto the website to sign up kids. We're also looking for volunteers. And so if you want to be part of Superhero Adventure Week, um, you're not going to want to miss out on that. Uh, also, this coming Saturday is a mom-to-mom sale, um, and, and proceeds will be uh, benefiting Mission. And then finally tonight, the Holland Symphony Orchestra will be performing uh, in our sanctuary at 5 o'clock um, from 5 to 6, kind of highlighting the flute section. And so if you want to hear some wonderful music, uh, come back this evening at 5 o'clock. As I mentioned, some of those happenings, uh, another reminder that we have some connect cards. There's a digital version. You can scan the QR code. If you'd like to get some emails, know what's happening, QR code, or there's some paper uh, connect cards over by the offering boxes as well. As I mentioned, the offering boxes, thank you for your continued generosity. We are uh, nearing the finish line uh, of our journey through the narrative of Scripture. We've got some guests here. We've been working our way through the whole narrative of Scripture using uh, the, this resource called The Story, 31 weeks to work through the whole narrative of Scripture. 
And last week we started our look in kind of the final movement of that journey, of the book of Acts, the story of the early church. And in the story, this resource we've been using splits the book of Acts into three primary movements, chapters 1 through 12, the early church in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and then Acts 13 to 20, Paul's missionary journeys, and then finally Acts 21 to 28, which will be next week. Now starting this week, the story I think actually does a brilliant job doing something. Uh, We have the narrative of the New Testament, but then there's all these letters, right? All these letters that Paul and others wrote to church bodies, communities, as well as individuals. And the story does a brilliant job because the context of all of those letters in the New Testament, the context, the story is the book of Acts for many of them. And so the story takes these letters of Paul and places them within the story. And I think it's, it's really helpful. If you're following along in the story, I think it's really helpful. Uh, but to kind of summarize where we're at and, and where we're moving in the book of Acts, uh, Acts retells the story of this Jesus movement that starts in Jerusalem and it begins exploding, like expanding and growing uh, to the ends of the earth. Along with uh, the growth of the church comes this resistance that kind of begins to happen at the same time. Uh, and, and in Acts chapters 1 through 12, the kind of the, the, the central human figure, the human apostle, is Peter. And so the, the focus is Peter. And, but in Acts 10, Peter receives this vision from God in Acts chapter 10. And his vision uh, is to tell Peter that this movement of Jesus' followers is about to, to shift from a, really a primarily a Jewish sect But the fulfilled vision is that it would become this multi-ethnic global movement that would go to the ends of the earth. Peter receives that vision and then the the narrative shifts and then we start focusing on on Paul. And he's kind of the the central human figure. The Holy Spirit is the main character in the book. Uh, But Paul begins to move outward. Later on, after Acts 10, uh, we hear about a church in Antioch. Antioch is a city north of Galilee in the region of Syria, not far from the Mediterranean uh, Sea. And the church in Antioch becomes this multi-ethnic church and really becomes the sending church in the ancient world. And so in Acts 13 through 20, uh, we read of three separate missionary journeys, all starting in that region of Syria. Uh, That's Antioch. And so Antioch is sending Paul on three different missionary journeys into Asia Minor, which is Turkey, or in Greece, and returning back. That is what's happening in Acts 13 through 20, and that is what we want to consider this morning. What we want to think about is Paul's mission mission. Paul, in these three missionary journeys, is able to step into multiple contexts and cultures. He stops at a variety, dozens of different cities in the Roman Empire, and he's reaching a variety of different people from from those who who follow the the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jewish folks and God-fearing Greeks, as well as as full Gentiles who've never heard uh, any part of of the Jewish faith. And so the question I want to just explore together is, what is his approach What is Paul's strategy? How did he go about sharing the gospel? Now to step into those questions, follow me, we're gonna step into one of Paul's letters. Paul writes a letter to the church in Corinth and in that letter, he's addressing a church that's having all of these disputes and disagreements. In chapters eight through 10, the disagreement that Paul is addressing is food sacrificed to idols. We're like... That doesn't, you know, that, doesn't, that doesn't apply to us, but that was a big deal. And the question they were wrestling with is, can Christians eat meat that has been sacrificed to pagan idols? And Paul begins exploring this question, and the answer is, well, that depends. He says, you, you, Christians are free to eat that meat because those idols are nothing but, but stone and wood. You're free to eat that meat. But then he says, but if, that, if eating that meat causes a brother or sister to stumble in their walk in faith, then you should abstain. Because, as Paul says, we must not hinder the gospel. And that connects to chapter 9, which is our text this morning. Uh, Our text this morning comes out of that context and speaks to Paul's heart for the gospel. And the advancement of the gospel into the Roman world, right? And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to use 1 Corinthians 9 verses 19 through 23 and kind of use that as a lens through which to see Paul's missionary journey in Acts 13 to 20. Does that make sense? We went a long way. We're going to use, we're going to use 1 Corinthians 9 as a lens through which to view Paul's missionary work. And that's the plan. You with me? All right, so we're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If you're willing, if you're able, I invite you to stand as we hear God speak to us 
Again, this is a letter to the church in Corinth and, and listen for the Apostle Paul's heart for people. He writes, though I am free, expressing his freedom in Christ and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like those under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. And here Paul summarizes it all by saying this, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You join me in a word of prayer. Gracious Lord, we, we thank you for your word which not only preserves an account of what happened 2,000 years ago as the church expanded across the known world, but Lord, we also have uh, this insight into Paul's heart through his letters. Lord, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would work and you would aliven your words so that we would hear from you and that Holy Spirit, you would, you would challenge us and you would comfort us in all the ways that we need to hear this morning so that in all things we might more and increasingly be formed into the likeness of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray all these things. And God's people say, amen and amen. Um, if you spend any time in, in a family, and, and for those of, of us who've, who've gotten married, you've stepped into a new family, uh, the longer you spend in that family, you notice that there are these, these stories these stories, whenever the family gets together and these same stories kind of get retold, maybe sometimes they get exaggerated a little bit. Do you, know, do you know the stories I'm talking about? How many of you have those stories in your families? Yeah, we all have these stories in our families. Uh, one of the stories from my family, uh, this comes from my mom's side. It's about, it's about a morning on a golf course. And I'd like to share that story. Is that okay? Why do I ask you that? You don't have a choice. I, that's, that's what I got. Okay. Uh, it, it is a story from a golf course. Uh, it's probably the 1980s. There's a beautiful picture, young people, of the 1980s. Um, <laughs> just kidding. That was just the coolest picture I could find, yeah. That's much before that. But, but 1980s, we're talking greater Chicagoland area, south, south suburbs of Chicago, likely. And the story is, is my dad, along with my mom's dad, so his father-in-law, who we, we called Poppy, so my grandpa Poppy, as well as, as Poppy's dad, so my great-grandpa, who we called Grandpa Chuck. So I had Chuck and Jojo were my great-grandparents on my, on my mom's side, my, my grandpa's parents. So my dad... Poppy and Chuck, they're at this golf course and they're going golfing. Now, they're, before they start their round, you got to go and you got to pay for the golf, right? So they go to the golf pro to pay for their golf and my dad gets in the line and he finds out something remarkable. He finds out that this golf course in Chicago offers a pastor's discount. <laughs> Why? I have no idea. But they did, and my dad's like, sweet, pastor's discount. So he gets the pastor's discount, whatever it is, 10, 20, I don't know, whatever percentage off it is. So he gets the pastor's discount. Well, my great-grandpa, who's a little bit older, he goes to the golf pro and he says, oh, pastor's discount. He's like, do you have a, do you have a senior's discount? And this golf pro kind of scoffs at my great-grandpa Chuck, kind of in a snarky voice says, senior's discount? You old farts are the one with all the money seniors discount you can imagine chuck's response he was not happy and he struggled to hit a fairway in the first like couple holes because he's just muttering under his breath pastor's discount you know and he's golfing like that why do i mention pastor's discount by the way does anyone know of a golf course in the holland area <laughs> that offers a pastor's discount if you do, my email is jb at tartawag.com. No. Probably not. 
I don't, I've never heard of a pastor's discount. There's not many places I, I don't think that really offer pastor's discount aside from maybe a, a Christian bookstore might offer a pastor's discount. That makes sense. Um, uh, actually, you can get into Dutch Village for free if you're a pastor, <laughs> as confirmed yesterday. Okay. So here in Holland, we do have a couple uh, little perks for being a pastor. Anyway, why do I share this kind of funny story about pastor's discount? Um, the reason I share it is, is it's kind of a, a fun way uh, to step into maybe a not-so-fun topic. Because in our world today, has a lot changed? A lot has changed. You see, decades ago, Christianity in our culture, our broader culture was held in a place of respect, honor, and even a, a place of privilege in our culture to the point where in Chicago, as a pastor, you got a discount for playing golf, right? And what I think we all can recognize and acknowledge is that that is less and less the case today. Public perception of, of the Christian faith or Christianity or pastors even, uh, I think we could agree has gone from overly, mostly positive decades ago and has shifted to maybe more neutral uh, to increasingly today, uh, Christianity or pastors or the church even are more and more increasingly seen not as the solution or something good, but kind of the problem of society. Now, maybe a little less so in Holland. We still got Dutch Village giving some pastors discounts. My, my point this morning is, is not to diagnose why that is the case. That's not the point. My point this morning is also not to place a value on it, whether that's a good thing that we should grieve or is a bad thing or, or neutral, whatever it is. But my point this morning is, is to simply acknowledge it and to recognize that that is kind of the, the temperature in our broader culture and with that, to ask this crucial question, because as the church of Jesus Christ, what is our mission? To reach people. And the question is, how do we reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ in our changing context today? Because our, our call as Christians is not to save cultures, it's to, it's to reach people with the gospel. It's to love people. And so my hope is that we can look at this kind of general approach of Paul in the book of Acts Notice, Paul reached all kinds of different people from different regions, from different worldviews, from different walks of life. And he couldn't do this with the same script. Like, he didn't have the same script, the same words that he went through each time. No, the details, the specifics of the people he was reaching changed. And so he would adjust his message of this one singular gospel. And what I want to do this morning is to consider some of the broader concepts uh, that were consistent in Acts 13 to 20, because I think there are some, some broader context, some, uh, excuse me, concepts. And 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 through 23, I think kind of offers the heartbeat behind it. There's some insights there. Here are the three elements uh, to our approach we're gonna look at, to Paul's approach. Connect, correct, and continue, okay? That would get you an A at most seminaries because they're all the same letter, right? Connect, correct, and continue. Three-point sermon, but let's go. Let's first look, and what we're gonna do this morning is we're gonna look at Acts 17 as kind of our case study. So if you have a Bible with you or if you have an app on your phone, feel free to open it to Acts 17. Let's begin by looking at how Paul enters a new context. He enters a new city. Throughout Acts, he's entering new cities and regions. And what does he do the first time right away when he gets there? he looks for a way to connect with the people who live there, okay? This is a posture of humility, moving toward people in mission, and, and really the heartbeat, it's the heartbeat of 1 Corinthians chapter nine. I just wanna read those words again toward the end as, as Paul summarizes the heart of this passage. To the weak I became weak, to win the weak I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some and I do this all for the sake of the gospel. If I were to summarize what Paul is saying here in 1 Corinthians chapter nine, 19 and following, Paul is saying basically for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of people coming to know and love Jesus Christ, to say, I believe and I love Jesus with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Paul is saying, I will do whatever it takes. The gospel compels Paul to meet people where they are at, 
which means entering into their ways of seeing and understanding the world in which they live. Now, if we know from the story of Paul, he's uniquely equipped to do this in the first century because he can see things from a Jewish perspective. Right, as a young boy, he's trained in the Torah and the, and the law and the prophets. He's a Pharisee of all Pharisees, right? He knows the scriptures inside and out. So he's uniquely equipped to enter in and, and, and see the world through the Jewish perspective. But Paul is also uniquely equipped to see the world through, through a Greek and, and Hellenistic perspective. Because he was raised in a Hellenized town, right? He's a, he's a Roman citizen, right? So he can see both of these perspectives, now here, I want to give you a, a, what I think is a, hopefully a helpful illustration as we think about how to connect with different contexts and cultures. Let's go back to the golf course. Any golfers? Hopefully this is a, a helpful, helpful uh, illustration. Think of this in terms of golf. Uh, depending on, on where the ball lands or lies would be the, the, the term in golf, right? A golfer will need to use a different club, right? You with me? So if the, if the ball lands... In the sand trap or the bunker, what do you use? Sand wedge. Sand wedge. If it lands on the green, putter. putter. If you got a longer distance, you use a wood. If you have iron, right? So you use a different club depending where the ball lies, right? Um, but here's the thing. There's only one objective, right, in golf. The, the same objective. No matter where the ball lies on the course, you're trying to get that ball into that hole, right? Golfers with me? Non-golfers, you with me? If you've ever seen me golf, you'd be like, that's a non-golfer, okay? Yeah, I'm with, okay. So different clubs, depending on where the ball lies. Let's make the connection. As Christians, we think about mission, the objective is the same. There's one gospel, right? There's one gospel of Jesus Christ, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And our hope and mission is to help other people see, see that, believe that, and learn to love Jesus. That's our objective. But depending where people are at on that journey, we might have a different approach and a different entry point, if you will, a different golf club, right? You with me? Does that make sense? So in Acts 17, what we see of Paul is he's using different golf clubs, if you will, depending on who his audience is, different entry points of connection and conversation. Let's look at some examples. First of all, the Jewish audience. Uh, when Paul, throughout the book of Acts, if you've read through the book of Acts, what's what Paul's first stop in any city he goes to is the synagogue right? Because there's been this scattering of the Jewish people, and so they've established worshiping communities in all these cities. That's God's providence, right? So he stops at the, the synagogue, and we read this in Acts 9, 17, verse 2. We read this, as was his custom, as was his custom, this is what Paul did, he went into the synagogue. This is in Thessalonica. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, so Paul understands how the gospel of Jesus fits into the Hebrew scriptures. This whole story, we've been talking about that, right? That Jesus is a fulfillment of the prophecies in the Old Testament. And so, so it's a natural starting point for Paul to go to the Jewish gathering of people and to begin to explain to them how Jesus is a fulfillment of the Old Testament prophets, right? Pretty, pretty sensible entry point. What about those who aren't Jewish in faith or God-fearing Greeks, as the book of Acts will call, those who, who acknowledge the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Well, later on in Acts 17, he gets to a different city, the city of Athens. He first heads to the synagogue, but after that, notice this, he finds a different entry point to connect with the non-Jewish people in Athens, his Greek or Gentile audience. And we, we read this in, in, in verse 17. So we reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as the marketplace, day by day with those who happened to be there. So Paul finds the, the common gathering place of the city. The, the, the marketplace is kind of the heartbeat, kind of the, the central hub of any ancient city. The marketplace where commerce is happening, where people are gathering every day. And this offers Paul the chance to just have some conversations with those who are in the marketplace. And what happens is he starts having these conversations with some philosophers there in Athens. We read Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. They become curious of what he's talking about with this Jesus, and they invite him to come to their philosophical meeting of the minds at the Areopagus, or Mars Hill. So he gets invited to the Areopagus, this kind of, this meeting of Greek philosophers, the great minds in the city of Athens, and what does Paul do? he finds another entry point to connect with their worldview. He references this altar to an unknown God. 
He says, I, I see that you guys are religious in all kinds of ways. That's wonderful. But you have this altar to this unknown God. Let me tell you who that unknown God is. It is the God who created the heavens and the earth. And he finds this entry point to begin talking to these Greek philosophers about, about the scriptures, about the God who created all things, and eventually talk about Jesus. So you see, different club, a different entry point uh, to find commonality with those he feels compelled to reach for the gospel. You with me? Connect. Second, after, after Paul connects with the people that he is called to reach, what does he do then? He allows the gospel to correct. He allows the gospel to correct. It's important to note that Paul steps into a new context. He doesn't just kind of bend, break, and blend in. It's not that he goes into this context and he loses all sense of his own distinction or identity. No, once he's entered and once he's understood how they see the world, he allows the good news, the gospel, to correct things, right? Again, we see how this unfolds in different contexts. First, in the conversation with the Jewish audience. Let's, let's go back to Thessalonica at the beginning of Acts 17. We keep reading after verse 2. We read this. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on, their th- on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them with the scriptures. And what does he say? Explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This is the Jesus. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Right, so here he steps into the synagogue. The gospel of Jesus offers this kind of correction, but I almost hesitate to use that word, uh, to the Jewish worldview, because really it's, it's a more of a completion. It's a fulfillment. Like all the law, the law and the prophets, the prophets that have been talking about this Messiah who is to come, Jesus is the Messiah, right? And he's giving them this, this completion of the things that they hold dear, giving them the full picture of the gospel. You with me? For Greek audience in the Areopagus, the gospel offered a different correction. And we're not going to read all of this encounter in Athens, but, but he's just outside of the city of Athens. A little contextual piece, verse 16, we read that, that Paul notices that the city of Athens is, is filled with idols. And the ancient city of Athens would have had temples and altars and all these things to different pagan deities and gods, and, and it disturbed Paul. So he was disturbed by what he saw in Athens. But he steps into act, in, in Acts 17. This is where Paul zeroes in on, his, on the, the gospel's corrective to the culture that he's in, right? Paul zeroes in on the emptiness of pagan idolatry. He says, he's thinking, to sacrifice to these human man-made idols made of wood and stone, it's, it's foolishness and it's, it's wasteful. And it's not bringing you life or fulfillment. No, the true God is well beyond temples built by human hands. And he talks about this in his speech. And then he calls the people to repent of this foolishness. And then he hints at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's important for us to notice that that Paul is is not afraid uh, to allow the gospel, the gospel, the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection to speak into a context Correct, even critique where, where people have been deceived or are believing a lie. And when we believe a lie, it leads, to our, it leads to destruction, right? And so out of love for the Greeks that he's seeing, he, he's speaking truth, right? So when we think of Paul, he speaks out against legalism among the Jewish audience. He speaks out against idolatry among the Greek audience. He, he names the thing and he offers correction. But here's the important thing I want to add is that when Paul does that, it seems he always does it from a posture of love. He's doing it not for his own benefit, but for the benefit of those God has called him to reach. This leads to the third point. Finally, it seems Paul is often leaving space for the relationship to continue. Connect, correct, and now continue. We'll be quick on this one, but certainly there's instances in the book of Acts where Paul's words incite a pretty strong negative reaction. In fact, in Thessalonica, in chapter 17, uh, a riot outbreak breaks out, right? Or later in Ephesus, when Paul is calling out the, the, the emptiness of the idols in Ephesus, a riot almost breaks out in Ephesus, chapter 19. But oftentimes, those, those people come to the conversation not in good faith. They've already made up their mind about Paul, what he's trying to say. Maybe, maybe their livelihood is threatened like in Ephesus. And so they're, pff, no way, man. But for others, 
It seems, however, that Paul always, almost always made space to continue the conversation. A couple of examples from, from just chapter 17. Notice in Thessalonica, chapter two, verse two, we read, as it was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. How many times does the Sabbath happen a week? Once. So three Sabbaths is how many weeks? Three weeks. Paul gives it three weeks where he's reasoning. He gives three weeks where he's talking about the gospel. Is this, is this a guy who's, in, he, he's patient with people, right, on their journey. He's allowing the, the relationship to develop and continue. Another example in the marketplace. By the way, we read there that he went to the marketplace and for days he talked to the people in the marketplace. But even after that, notice a couple things. The Greeks who hear him speaking in the marketplace are, are, are curious about what he's saying and they invite him because of their curiosity. Then they took him and brought him to the Areopagus where they said to him, may, may we know what, this, what, what, what is this new teaching that you are presenting? He's like, we want, they say, we want to know what it means. They're curious. The relationship the conversation continues. And then even at the end of his speech at the Areopagus, we read that some Greeks became curious. Other, some follows, others like, said, like, like rid him, wrote him off. But we read this. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. Some rejected it like this is nonsense. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. Notice Paul and how he speaks with people. It obviously brings about some curiosity. They want to hear more and the conversation and the relationship carries on and continues. Paul cannot control how people respond to the message and throughout Acts, some reject, some receive the gospel the res- about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but seemingly most, most, Paul is mostly willing to keep the conversation going when people show curiosity and interest. Connect, correct, and continue. Three things that I think throughout Acts 13 through 20, Paul found himself entering a multitude of different contexts, cities, cultures, and in every city he entered, each of them required kind of a a slightly different approach, if you will, golf club. But it seemed that in every city, these three things happened. He found a way to connect with the context, connect with the people who were there, He allowed the gospel to offer some level of correction based on the Spirit's leading. And then he would leave space to continue the relationship. And what happened out of that is churches were planted throughout the Roman Empire because of it. I don't know about you, but it's pretty remarkable. As we bring our time to a close, what I want to do is just step back into our modern context and consider these, these three elements, if you will, around this question that we began with. Our world is changing. Our world is changing. And the question is, how do we reach people with the good news of the gospel in our changing context today? An important disclaimer, I have to say this um, because it's important. When I, when I say our world is changing, what I really mean is, is I mean our Western world. What I'm really talking about is, is the world in which most of us live, which is the United States, the West, where the church is seeing this decline. I just have to mention that in other parts of the world, the church is not declining, okay? And you have to know that. The church is exploding in, in the best of way. It's expanding in other parts of, of the globe. But for our context, where we live in this world that is changing, how do we reach people with the gospel? What that means for the church today in in the United States, we have to find new strategies to address and and reach new people. Because the reality is that the old strategies and the old programs that were designed in an age of, 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 can I say, Christendom? And what I mean by that, here's an example. Programs and and, and strategies that were designed when when the, the view of Christianity and the church was overall positive. And when people were in a tough spot in life, they would be like, where should I go? I need help. They'd be like, I gotta, I'll go to the church. And so you can put on just the best programs and, and, the, and the best services because, because people kind of have this instinct to go to the church, right? But what happens when that changes and people's first instinct is not to go to the church? Well, we gotta change our strategies. We gotta change our programs. Because as many people have put, pointed out, we're living increasingly in a post-Christian world. If you have questions about what that means, let's talk about it. So in other words, what we need to do is we need to pull out different golf clubs 
because of where the ball has landed. Our, the ball is at a different place, and so we need different golf clubs, and we need to change our approach. Let's talk about those. So in our context today, I, I don't have the answers, but I just want to get us thinking, okay? How do we connect? We've got to find ways to connect. How, how do we connect with people? People who maybe see the world differently. People who, who we need to change what we assume people think or believe. To make an effort to genuinely get to know people. To genuinely understand their perspective. To look then for common ground, even if, even if there's obvious differences, right? There might be obvious differences, but how do we connect? Because we are human beings created in the image of God. What, what this is about is how do we show people that we truly do genuinely care and love them? How do we make that connection point? And then how do we allow the gospel to correct and challenge? And let me be clear, what, what I really mean by this is because we live in a world where there's other worldviews and, and, and ideologies coming our way, how do we know what we believe? I think that's the first step. How do we allow the gospel to, under, to shape how we understand and view the world in which we live? How do we allow the gospel to form each of us so that when we hear things that call into question, for example, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can be like, no, 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 like there is really good reason. There's historical, there's all this stuff. We can be sure of the resurrection of Jesus Christ so that we can be confident in what we believe. And I think that's the first step actually. And then in our relationships to allow the spirit to gently help us discern how we can, how we can reveal how some of the narratives in our, in our culture are, are destructive. And for example, like this, this weight that I need, to, I need to be the purveyor of my own identity and what is true, that is, a, that is a heavy burden that none of us is intended to bear. Like I don't have to prove or I have to force myself to believe that I'm valuable. No, no, no. The God who created the heavens and the earth created you in his image. You are valuable. You are loved. That's how the gospel corrects a culture that is, Right? and narratives that have us believing the wrong things. And then finally, we need to leave space to continue the relationship. We need to leave space to continue the relationship. I remember hearing this once, and I don't remember where I heard it from. I just know that it, it's always stuck with me. The, the advice was always, always protect the next conversation. Do you get what that means? I think sometimes we're, we're maybe in a, in a conversation and we wanna win the day or we wanna win the debate or whatever. And what we do, we fail to do is protect the next conversation. And suddenly we've, we've broken the relationship. How do, how do we enter in conversation and dialogues recognizing uh, that, that faith is a journey and that journey doesn't have to be completed in a day, but it might take days, weeks, months, or even years. And here's the other thing as we think about this is we're not in charge of other people's journeys, Amen. We can't force anyone to believe what we believe. Our call is, is to walk with people on a journey in patience and love. All of this is grounded in love and relationship. And as I think about where, where we've gone wrong, I think oftentimes we've gone wrong today when, when we stray or we miss one of these three components. Some of us are, are and we're maybe wired for one, one or more of these, right? Some of us are wired. We're like, we love to connect with people. I'm wired that way. I just love connecting with people about whatever it is. Like, I, I love it, right? But we, we never then bring up our faith or we never, we never bring up the good news of the gospel, which if we believe that's the most life-changing, transformative thing in this entire world, we're doing a disservice if we don't. And then we miss the opportunity to see the Spirit do a transforming work. And some of us are wired like, I'll connect and I'll do all that, but I'm a little nervous about sharing my faith, right? You don't have to raise your hand. Maybe some of you are with me. On the other side, there's others who, who love to correct, right? Love to correct. Love to tell what, what other people are doing wrong, where you have it off. Uh, but they have little interest in, in connecting or loving. And I think, unfortunately, that's where we see a lot of some of the discord today because there's, there's all this, well, you got this wrong and there's, it's, it's, it's usually large, it's on an impersonal scale. The internet has made that way too easy to do, this kind of correction without any kind of connection. And to be honest, when we do that, even when what we say is true, it usually often has the opposite impact and it turns people away, right? 
And then finally, a lot of other people then try to connect, connect and then correct without any kind of continued relationships, like in a hurry, like, well, I gotta, I gotta, gotta find that in and then I gotta share the gospel so that they can, you know, and, and that might be coming from a good place. But if, if, we, if, we, if we do that apart from this continued relationship, it can feel manipulative or it can feel disingenuous or, or it can kind of leave people who maybe have made this life-changing choice and now they got no one to walk with them on the journey. I think we gotta remember each of these to connect, to correct, as well as to continue because God has called us to love and to be witnesses who testify to the good news, the life-changing work of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Here's my prayer as we close. is simply this, intentionality. What I want each of us to do is just right now in this moment, but, but maybe later this afternoon, to pray about who. If, 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 you, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, if you love Jesus with all your heart, just pray and ask the Spirit to give you a name or a family. Um, who is that person that God is calling you to love, to connect on a deeper level? Chances are you're probably already in relationship with them. And so the prayer is then, what's that next step? And remember, this is a journey. Maybe the next step is simply having them over Weather's changing for a barbecue or something, right? Who is it? And Spirit, what is that next step of deeper connection so that I can see your Spirit move in transformative ways in the circles in which you've called me to live? Can we do that? Let's pray and ask the Spirit's help. Will you join me? Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for, for these accounts of uh, your disciples, disciples like the Apostle Paul. And uh, Lord, I think sometimes the temptation is, 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 is to, to read these, these accounts of the apostles in the early church and it's like, wow, that's incredible, but man, I can never, I can never do that. Um, and the reality is, Lord, we're not Paul. And so you're not calling us to do that. But Lord, you are calling us to be a light in our community. You are calling us to just testify, to be, to be witnesses, to, 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 to share what we have experienced. And Lord, that, that, that is a journey that takes time. And so Lord, help us to, to understand our own heart and those areas that, that maybe are growth areas for us Lord, may you give each of us maybe a name or, or a family, not, not as a project, but just, Lord, as people that you've called us to love and to share life with and, and allow your spirit to work in and through and among us. So, Lord, we pray for that inspiration as, as, we, as we pursue to love you, not in just what we say, but how we live. Help us to be, Lord, a light that shines brightly, the good news of Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray all these things. Amen. Amen. I invite you to stand and sing with us. I believe gave sight to I believe that the dead came to life I believe there were wonders and signs And you're still the same I believe every word that you say I believe there are stars in your hands That your goodness is good without end and you'll never change I will tell of your wonders Sing of your grace The God of creation Knows me by name The Lord is faithful Yesterday, now, and always Always Your mercy is mighty Age after age 
All generations will bow down and praise the Lord is faithful yesterday, now, and always. Always. I believe you will come in the clouds. I believe you are here even now. In your presence, I know there is power, power to save. Oh, I will tell of your wonders, sing of your grace. The God of creation knows me by name. The Lord is faithful yesterday, now, and always, always. Your mercy is mighty. Age after age, all generations will bow down and praise. The Lord is faithful yesterday, now, and always, always. You were, you are, you always will be God. I will tell of your wonders, sing of your grace. The God of creation knows me by name. The Lord is faithful yesterday, now, and always, always. Your mercy is mighty, age after age. All generations will bow down and praise the Lord is faithful. Yesterday, now, and always, always. Your mercy is mighty, age after age. All generations will bow down and praise. The Lord is faithful yesterday, now, and always. Our God, in his, his goodness and his mercy, he, he gives us sacraments. Um, because they, they use something tangible to point to something intangible. And so when I offer an invitation to come and dip your hands in the waters of baptism, it's a, it's a tangible reminder of, of what we just sang, that our God is, is faithful. Our God is, has been faithful in Macy's life, and, and how God is faithful, we don't always understand, but we choose to trust. And so as we go from here and, and think about this task of reaching our neighbors, our coworkers, that feels overwhelming. But then we remember that it is God who is at work in and through us, amen? As you go from here, receive uh, this blessing, which is from Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And God's people say together, amen. Go in peace, family.